0: It's the place to be for all things franchising. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today's topic is a really exciting one. It is taking your group overseas, the ultimate, isn't it? How to be successful and avoid the mistakes that many make. Um, it's, uh, it's a topic which I've been uh, wanting to address for quite some time, and I know two or three of my listeners are, are embracing this aspect of their business. As you know, at Franchise Simply, we're committed to ensuring that you're informed about all topics around franchising. That's great to be with you. And I've got a buzz because I've managed to snare a celebrity today uh, who my members will be very familiar with because uh, I quote many case studies about Paul Works and John O'Brien, John O'Brien the founder. Um, so just a reminder, have a pen and paper ready because there will be some really valuable notes. And a lot of what John says is applicable, whether you're expanding overseas or whether you're opening up in the next suburb, believe me, it's full of gems. So um, remember for members there will be a transcript available um, So just to refresh your memories as far as John O'Brien's concerned he's the founder and CEO of Paul Works he's, he's a man if you have ever seen him speaking he's got a passion uh, and experience in the franchising and the pool industry that's hard to rival no doubt he's dynamic and he is an entrepreneur in the true meaning of the word he founded Paul Works over 20 years ago And he's grown into a global multi-award winning system and certainly he's had the rewards because he's Franchise Council of Australia, Franchise System of the Year in 2017. He's been three times multi-unit franchisees, uh, that's within the group. Uh, He's an inductee of the SA Hall Hall of Fame and been a a chair of the World, Asia, Pacific and Australian Franchise Council. So he knows the world of franchising. And he was invited to be a founding member of the Australian Federal Government ACCC Franchise Advisory Group. So his influence is wide and his knowledge is broad. He's a, been a game changer in the swimming Pool area where he chose to, to enter. He co-founded and chaired the Swimming Pool Retail Association of Australia. He serves on their pink uh, governing board, Swimming Pool and Spa Association. And um, Works is rapidly becoming a global brand. It's a successful franchise in the US with launches in other countries on the horizon. It's in Australia, New Zealand, and is the largest pool retail and services group in this area with over 100 stores, 400 vehicles, and 250 franchises. So apart from a corporate career, it's interesting to know that John's founded and developed five successful businesses. So here he is today to share some of his value experience. Hello, John, and welcome.
1: Oh, hi, Brian. I feel tired after the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll
0: go easy on you today. So, great. thanks very much for making your time available. You must be one of the busiest men in franchising. So, just to get into some of the questions, was there anything you wanted to add to the bio there, by the way? No, no. It's pretty exhaustive. Thanks very much, Brian. Okay, fine. Right, so um, the reason I, I, I wanted to get you uh, to have a chat today was, your latest expansions into the United States, your previously established in New Zealand. Um, what were the motives behind expanding overseas in the first place, John?
1: Well, we got to a stage where, where the the biggest pool service company in the world, um, you know, we're approaching 500 vans now, uh, pretty quickly, uh, where the second biggest pool retail and service franchise group in the world. Um, and we're the third biggest group in our industry worldwide. Uh, so in Australia, we're number one. Uh, we have over 20% market share now. So, you know, it's we're about twice as big as our next competitor. So when you've developed, uh, I suppose, over 20 years, all of the franchise systems and intellectual property that we have, you then look to say, well, how do we leverage that? And the opportunity to... To leverage that when when you're already the largest in your country and got your base right and your uh, your profitability and your cash flow and your systems and your people all right, the ability to leverage that globally is uh, is very tempting. Um, and so, you know, what's next? Uh, the opportunity for us was to uh, to go to the U.S. Uh, in, in our particular industry. In fact, in most people's industry, you know, it's uh, it's probably ten times bigger than the opportunity in Australia. Uh, so that was our next uh, our next jumping point.
0: Right. I remember talking to you some years ago and you were you were over in Europe and you were looking at expanding there, I believe you were an international franchise fair in Paris. and you, you pulled a pin on that at the time. Can you just explain why you deferred that decision at that time?
1: Yeah looking uh, we never wanted to we always wanted to be a global, uh, business. That's how I started the business uh, over 20 years ago with Global Aspirations. And we chose this industry because this industry was disorganized globally. And uh, we didn't want to be a reactive franchisor where uh, somebody's cousin rang from uh, Jordan and wanted a franchise. Um, we wanted to be a proactive global franchisor. So um, in uh, 1997, we, uh, sorry, 2007, uh, we had the assistance of a consulting firm and we put together over 12 months a plan to go global uh, and we actually ranked 15 countries from one to 15 that met our criteria and went about protecting our IP and name. And, uh, of course, the US was number one on that list, uh, France was number two and Brazil was number three. So we exhibited in 2008 uh, in the Paris franchise show, the biggest show in the world, uh, and in the then Washington show, which has now moved to New York. And we were doing due diligence on an acquisition uh, in the south of France, in Avignon at the time. But unfortunately, whilst we were doing the show and the due diligence, the, the due diligence didn't stack up. So uh, that, together with the, uh, the developing uh, storm clouds, I suppose, globally around the GFC, uh, we decided to, to pull back from both our and our US expansion, and stuck with Australia, and I'm glad we did. And we're able to rebound later when the economy recovered.
0: Yeah, you're obviously, you know, you you're held back. You must be very patient, waiting for ten years. Uh, so <laughs> I, I guess you, you're, you're a figures man by, by, by sort of, I suppose by, by your habits. Um, so that was the reason you waited for ten years, was it? It's, uh, it's a fair while uh, to yeah,
1: wait. Look, I'm not really a figures man. I'm more of a system man, I suppose. I'm. That's what franchising uh, is in a lot of ways. It's building block is having good systems. And um, a lot of the the work we did was based, um, and you're right, was based on country economic modelling. Uh, So we did something that um, certainly the Americans have been very interested in when I speak at their convention, is that we, we did an assessment of each of those 15 countries from the bottom up, how much somebody would pay for a bag of salt, and then work that all the way through to franchise profitability, and then how much fees they could would be prepared to pay, and whether they're still profitable, um, and whether at that price it was uh, conceivable for the consumer, for the franchise partner, and for us. And uh, because of the GFC in those two countries, it actually ate into the economic model uh, and made it unviable. So um, with the changes, as we watch the economies in those countries improve, uh, the timing was then right to go back into the US. Indeed, the timing's right to go back into France too, but not in Brazil. Um, I mean, for those that watch Brazil, uh, it still has uh, political and economic problems and its taxation mm. systems are horrendous. Pretty volatile. So um, in actual fact, you,
0: you chose New Zealand, um, which is a hopping-off point for I suppose, the majority of Australian franchises that, that go overseas, um, it, it seems like an obvious step, but I've known groups, you know, over the years that have tried New Zealand and failed,
1: so why did you
0: choose New Zealand in the circumstances?
1: Well, it's a really good point to make, um, I mean, first of all, you've got to own Australia, and Australia. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, we kicked off in uh, uh, Brisbane, of course, and, and then moved to Sydney, and then moved to Melbourne, and then moved to Perth, and then moved to Adelaide, and you know eventually we're in every state and territory and, and regional city today, including Hobart and Darwin. But um, you know, I remember capturing each of those markets uh, was extremely tough, um, and you know, probably Perth was uh, was the toughest market for us to crack. We had three goes at it. Um, so my advice probably to, to people if they're considering going international is a couple of things you know, make sure you've got good Australian uh, coverage uh, because each market will test you and you'll learn from it and you know, make sure you've probably got close to 20% market share so you've got good good basis you know, I find some brands jump internationally too soon uh, make sure your mm. profit and your cash flow is set but then New Zealand I just don't know why people don't do it um, it, it was a great learning ground for us because uh, New Zealand was twice as tough as our toughest Australian market, which was Perth. And, uh, you know, we made the the fatal mistake of thinking it was just three hours across the ditch from Brisbane that was closer than <laughs> Perth, and we'd just run it uh, as another state. <laughs> Sorry for all the Kiwis <laughs> and the listening. Um, and, uh, yeah, it took us years of banging our head against the brick wall to realised that we needed to treat it as another country, that the nuances and innuendos in the marketplace were so different to Perth. And and it wasn't until we did that and we appointed a Kiwi to to run that operation that it it started to turn for us. And indeed today we realise we're we're probably going to move that to a master franchise so that a a domicile Kiwi can, can run that business and understand the country nuance. That's interesting. Um, I, I was at a, uh,
0: a lunch meeting of the FCA recently, and Murray Delmater was there, founder of, of the Retail Food Group, going back on a long time. And I remember um, that he attempted to set up in the UK with um, uh, with Donut King, and it, it didn't work for a number of reasons. But he said the biggest mistake he w- he made was. Underestimating the difference between the POMs and the Australians, and he appointed an Australian general manager. And he said that was his single biggest mistake. He should have, should have got somebody who was British, who actually related to and understood the market. So you're saying much the same, really, from your point of view. Yeah,
1: certainly, uh, certainly in the, in the New Zealand, yes. I mean, you need to have somebody that exports your culture and your system. But the person who goes on to run that uh, needs to head a country, needs to be a local, in my view, eventually, anyway.
0: Yeah. All right. You give us a little grounding there. So can you tell me the process you adopted
1: to set up in the US then? Yeah, look, it was a very interesting process. Because we, uh, we didn't go ahead with our plan from 2007, you know, we did the Washington show and we had a massive response and uh, we, in fact, had a deposit, $200,000 deposit for a master franchise in Florida and handed it back, which was a tough day, but I'm glad we did. (laughs) But back then, we divided the U.S. into seven um, uh, regional master franchises in the U.S., and we were going about selling seven master franchises. Um, I'm glad we didn't do that now, which was very much the cartridge world model out of uh, originally out of Adelaide, and they sold master franchises all across the U.S., Um, of which some today have been highly successful, most weren't. Um, Now, the reason um, I had pause, I suppose, over the next five years or seven, as I was going to the IFA convention in the US and speaking to various colleagues and friends I've developed over the last 20 years, they said, John, you're the biggest pool service company in the world. You're the second biggest pool franchise company in the world. Um, Why would you want to share the cake with master franchises when the market potential here is 10 times bigger don't put a middleman uh, in the middle don't do sub-regional um absolutely do whole of country master franchises in 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 markets that aren't central or courtier business but in this business the opportunity for you to come here corporately and set up and do it yourself directly without having masters is too great so i'm glad we didn't go down that path i, I actually a firm believer that In the US, doing um, a whole-of-country master for a a market that's 10 times bigger than ours is a mistake. Doing regional masters, I believe, in the US is a mistake. I think it's very suited for other countries, for smaller markets, but not the US. So the learning there was that we decided to do it um, directly and corporately, corporate-owned. The next learning, which I think was really good, I watched a number of other Australian... uh, systems that launched in the US and it was such a slow grind for them looking for franchises because if you don't have anything to sell and the only franchise you got to point to is in Australia it's too hard to sell so we took the uh, approach that um, we were only going to in our industry attack the Sun sunbelt so if you essentially draw a line across the middle of the US pools are, uh, the south is warmer so we only attacked that market so for a start um, well, we're only tackling half the country. So we're looking for a sunbelt approach, east coast to west coast. And then we said, well, where's the right place to go? And we picked the biggest density pools in the world, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, you know, there's uh, 200,000 pools in Phoenix, Arizona alone. Um, <laughs> and then we then looked for an acquisition. And we uh, we found an acquisition of 12 stores uh, and we went and bought that business which was a company direct owned business and we ran that for 12 months uh, so we could adjust our model to suit the American uh, marketplace and to get it ready for franchising to understand the unit economics um, and at the same time applying for um, our various state registrations was. In the U.S., of course, there's different rules for different states to be able to franchise, and California's the toughest. Uh, if you can get registered in California, you're pretty right everywhere else. California and Delaware are the two tough ones. Uh, the rest fall in behind. So we got about franchising, and uh, 12 months in, um, we figured we were pretty right, but then we realised that it's a big, big market, geographically and economically, that... What happened in Phoenix wasn't necessarily what happened in the marketplace in California or in Florida or in Georgia or wherever. So we went about a further number of acquisitions. We purchased a small business in California um, and in Florida so that we had the east and the west coast and the desert experience covered. And and we found nuances in that market and we, we changed them up even further. So 18 months in, um, we had our unit economics done coast to coast, different markets. Nobody could tell us we didn't know what we're talking about. Uh, we'd proven up the model, doing it ourselves, adjusted our manuals and got registered to franchise. So that's the approach we took. Um, and uh, it's I think it's a very solid approach so that when you go to market, you can say uh, at a franchise show in America, where they say, where are you from? A funny accent. Yes, I'm Australian, but, and our system was founded in Australia, but uh, we have a head office here in the US, and uh, we have uh, a number of units across three states. Do you want to talk?
0: That sounds like an incredible amount of work in
1: 12 to 18 months, John. Yeah, look, it, it has been. Um, we, uh, we only began franchising just over 12 months ago, um, and we're, we're actually two and a half years in. Uh, as we speak today, 30 months. So we've got 30 stores in 30 months um, across seven states and uh, over 150 service vans in the US. So it's been a very good start. Um, we've also, I suppose, you know, you asked the question about getting established in the US. Um, yeah, the next step is, you know, where is your head office? And um to us, it was always going to be Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's right in Texas is a fabulous state for doing business in America. I, it may not suit every market, but i struggle to find a business in Australia that shouldn't look at Texas as their start point and Dallas. So you can fly anywhere in America uh, in three hours out of Dallas. You can fly direct on Qantas out of Sydney to Dallas. Um, it's a megaplex of uh, 8 million people. Uh, it's one of the three fastest-growing cities, and it's one of the three franchise hubs, uh, Georgia, Dallas, and Chicago. Um, uh, or, uh, Sorry, Atlanta, uh, Chicago, and Dallas are where most of the franchisors are, so you can get good staff. And uh, we moved our head office there from Phoenix uh, six months ago, and we've built a replica of our Australian training centre, and we've bought the biggest pool business in North Texas, as our practical training centre. So we have a theory and a practical training centre out of Dallas. Well, it's that's busy moving time. a lot of your
0: corporate... <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, moving a lot of your corporate people around, I would assume. I mean, you're relocating that office in itself for anybody, long established or otherwise, is a challenge. Um, but for you, you've got people... I, I gather you've got some people in your administration over there that have moved from Australia to the
1: US. Yeah, look, it's an interesting point that you raise. We have um, we have four um, BDMs in America, regional managers. Um, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, one in Texas, and one in Arizona. Uh, and we have eight people in our head office support centre. Um, it's actually the centre with our head office is two thirds the size of our Australian Physical Centre. Um, it's massive, so we build it for the future. <laughs> Two-thirds of it is vacant, <laughs> but we've got a practical <laughs> training centre with a swimming pool and a spa and all of our normal stuff in there, so build it and they will come. But of our eight head office people, uh, you're right, um, four are Australians, and yeah, that's very interesting in itself. Um, our country leader uh, is an Australian, and so we've sent four of our... Most experienced staff over all been with us uh, for more than 10 and 15 years and uh, yeah, they've moved over with their families um, that was a big learning about visas but in the end it was pretty easy to get a two-year visa rolling two-year visas um, a couple of the people into their second role I'll get a green card after this role uh, but mm-hmm. it was very important for me to be able to trust people who I've worked with for a long time Um, but also people who could transport the culture of your business. I mean, that's impossible to teach somebody remotely, Um, but also to carry, most importantly, your culture and your systems, your franchise system. So, yeah, you can say, there it is, there's the manual online, but you need somebody to know where to go to to find the bits and pieces and to train people. So we've got four Americans and four Australians in our head office, and for Americans in the field, uh, that's been a good basis, uh, I find. Uh, in my case, I spend um, I spend a month, a quarter in the U.S. Uh, I have an apartment over there and a car in the apartment. And you, know, you need to be uh, prepared as a CEO to to lead the charge and either move there or spend a lot of your time there.
0: Wow. Okay, it, 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 it's, that's fascinating, and uh, I'll take my hat off to you. It all sounds very easy, John. <laughs> and that, that's one of the reasons for this call, is to alert people that there are some, there some train smashes with lots of groups travelling overseas uh, who've gone through yes. quickly, haven't researched the market, made big assumptions, and I love what you started with was looking at the price of salt. So you said, okay, what's the core product? Can we create a market... Can we get our retail margins? And then you worked up to saying, well, can we establish outlets? Can we sell franchises? Will the franchisees make a decent living, return on investment sort of thing? Yes. Right, excellent. Okay. Um, I answered your question there, didn't I? So (laughs) um, when it comes down to the state registrations, I mean, people complain here about being complicated. Um, I think it's been well simplified here now. I certainly don't come across many people who seriously complain to understand the benefits but in the u.s you said you know the a couple of states that are really hard and of course it varies is, is there any particular advice you'd give about starting that registration process as far as you know the legal side and you, you get you get a central lawyer or do you get lawyers in every state how
1: do you handle that yes uh, so uh, don't use an australian lawyer who will tell you that uh, we, we've got affiliates in the u.s and we can do all that for you it the nuances are, are, are too great. So um, my recommendation is to choose a US specialist franchise lawyer. Uh, definitely don't just go with any lawyer who tells you they're a specialist. Uh, so if you go through the IFA, uh, they um, certainly have a fantastic website and link to uh, to all the uh, member law firms. Um, pick a law firm if you can. doesn't have to be. Americans are so mobile, but... Uh, preferably pick a franchise law firm that's head office where you're going to be head office um, yeah. and get them to do, uh, of course, I'll need to prepare your franchise agreement. Um, franchise, uh, legal language in the US is completely different to Australia. It's actually Old English. It's about a 100 years old. So uh, it needs to be an American written agreement, or they need to take your agreement and rewrite it. Um, They have their own disclosure document, which is uh, a lot more robust than ours. Um, And so they'll take you through writing the agreement, doing the disclosure document, and then that firm will handle all the registrations for you. There's three levels of types of registration across the 52 states. Um, There's 14 states that are registration states, which means you need to get registered and re-registered every year to conduct a business of franchising. And in California, that takes three months every year where you actually can't franchise for that three months. Uh, then there's another bunch of states that are notification states where you um, they're, they're not as difficult and you need to register once um, and then just re-notify them each year that you're uh, continuing the business. And then there's a bunch of states that don't require uh, any registration at all. And they tend to be in the South. <laughs> and, uh, and that's one of those. <laughs> right. Okay.
0: Hence, hence, yeah. Hence, uh, yeah, it's a flourishing area. The the lower the hurdles, the uh, yeah, the more runners on the track. I suppose is what it comes. Yes. To. Okay. Yes. All right. some. Uh, so, cost wise, is it comparable to set up costs here, or is the league because it's such a huge country with so much franchising? Is is it actually is it actually lower cost than setting up here generally? Or should
1: you should you steal yourself for some heavy expenses or what? Um you know, that's a really interesting question. I, I hadn't thought of it in that way, but um, probably if you were starting out uh, from scratch franchising the system today, you know, using your company advice, Brian, um, and then, you know, plugging into um, using a consultant and then plugging into the lawyers and to be honest, the cost of starting up a franchise system from scratch in the U.S. is probably not that different to Australia. Um, right. uh, you know, lawyers don't miss you in the U.S., but uh, they certainly are very prepared to negotiate and all that stuff. So, yeah, no, it, it, probably the similar cost uh, starting from scratch uh, in the oh, U.S. Okay. starting here. But but if you had a set up system here, you'd need to hmm. be prepared to spend the same amount of funds in the U.S. as if you were starting again. Right, no, I'm with you.
0: Okay, so you, you've only been in to the country for a short period of time. You've already got a big footprint. So is there anything that you would do differently, um, even at this early stage, to what you did do? I mean, you'd put in a huge amount of, of, of homework, but um, anything mm-hmm. particularly you so, say, well, that, that actually was an estate. I noticed you relocated offices, I think.
1: Yeah, look, the first mistake we made was uh, uh, 10 years ago, we went and registered our IP, our brand name and our domain name in those 15 countries, I, I said. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, I I didn't check with my CFO at the time before I went to a, a US pool convention uh, whether that was actually locked in in the US, exchanged business cards with a gentleman and... Uh, uh, whilst I got was registered in the US before him, he was a Canadian, and he registered in Canada before me, and because of the mutual laws between those states, he was able to give up me into the US and, and actually got ahead of me on registration, so he owned my name. Um, oh. So I had to negotiate. It cost me $300,000 to buy my name back off that guy in the US. Um I, I ran into uh, the owner of Baker's Delight, uh, Mr. Gillespie, uh, not so long ago. He's in Canada, and he told me a similar story he had 10 years ago, and uh, he, he regrets not having bought his brand back at the time. Um, I actually said so that the mistake I made was that I didn't have my IP covered before I went to the country. Um, the good news mm. is that I'm glad I paid that money <laughs> because it, it'll save me a lot in time. Um, perhaps a couple of other pieces of advice um, uh, or mistakes I might have made. Um, I didn't choose the right U.S. attorney to start with. Um, I, I ended up choosing an attorney who um, did more work for franchisees than franchisors, and that's a bit on the nose in the U.S. You're either one or the other. So choose your attorney very, very carefully. Choose your head office location very, very carefully, uh, as you raised before. Um, uh, probably didn't spend as much time. We've been there for two and a half years. Didn't spend as much time in the U.S. in the first eighteen months. Personally, is what I should have. As I said, I now spend a month every quarter there, um, and uh, and things didn't go as fast as what what the founder can do to drive it. Those quick decisions you need to make on the ground. Mm. Um, and um, we didn't make this mistake, but you know we, we could have. Um, don't assume that your system uh, in every way will translate to the US. That's I call that brand arrogance. Your system will iner- invariably need to um, be your offering will invariably need to alter to fit the US experience. I'll give you an example. Uh, in, the, in Australia, we uh, service swimming pools once a month. In the US, they service swimming pools once a week. Now, that might sound like an opportunity, but it actually means that the cost of labour uh, is much greater uh, and and the model is less economic. So, they have had to go about changing that in the US. Um, here's another good example. In the US, in Australia, in our industry, it's manufacturer to retailer direct. In the US, it's manufacturer to distributor to retailer. So, um, there's a third party in the food chain that take 25 percentage points, which equates to your franchise fees effectively. Um, so our model didn't work. Uh, we would not have been able to be successful. So we ha- we didn't pick that up, believe it or not, on the way through. Can't believe I missed mm. that. And uh, we had to work so, so hard for that first 18 months to find manufacturers that were prepared to break the mould and go around distributors and come to us direct. Um, in fact, we had to get one of our Australian suppliers to open up in the US just to help us do that.
0: Wow, that's that's huge, isn't it? Yeah. So something like that is. I can understand you missing it, you know. It, it, you got, it, it, but without that, no, you've got no margin. That's where your margin comes. So yes. Uh, okay, John. Thanks. Um, I better scoot along here because uh, we could talk for hours, um, as you say. We don't catch up often. However. That was that was great. Is there is there one? you have given us several really sort of issues there to be conscious of, um, but is, is there one? Would you say was the biggest priority for anyone looking at think, setting up over there?
1: Yeah, um, two: um, yeah. buy a business and uh, run it, and experiment with it yourself for twelve months. Uh, it may or may not work and you can pack up your pencils and come up <laughs> and two is be prepared to take your best executive from here and move him there him or her there right, right. okay yeah which is which is a challenge
0: in itself yeah okay so you've got, you've got to get them on board and buy into it of course as well
1: so there's a fair bit of and you'll probably need to give them equity thing. Brian yeah. you'll probably need to yeah. give them sweat yeah. equity to in that business mm-hmm. to do that no, yeah, that makes sense. Well,
0: commitment—it's a franchise story, isn't it, John? <laughs> getting a bit, of, getting a bit, getting a bit of skin in the game, as people say. All right, well, that's fantastic. Uh, can, can I just look in the last one? Um, something that's, that just occurred to me from time to time—we we see people going for IPOs, whether it's retail food group and the, the rest—you know, going for an initial public offering, going get listed on the board. Um, you've got a really sizable business. You've got huge twenty percent market share. Most people only dream about 20%. You know, 10% is huge, but you can fall over that. So your business is a valuable asset. I've got no doubt about that. So why haven't you floated the company and taken your profits?
1: Yeah. Um, It's it's a great question, and people ask me that all the time. Brian, you and I have been in franchising a long, long time, and we have a lot of friends and colleagues in this industry, and we all have the same the same mantra and you know myself and my family and all of my executives here we love franchising we call ourselves a family of small business owners in pool works and you know what sort of gets us out of bed in the morning or keeps us awake at night i suppose is watching australian uh, families or families join our brand and fulfill their dreams in fact not just here but in the u.s. now um gives us an awful an awful lot of reward and Look, you know, it's just a fact of life that that's more difficult to do uh, if you're publicly owned and, you know, where's your number one priority? Is it to your shareholders or to your franchise partners? So uh, that's not our go. Um, you know, having said that, uh, you know, we're working, we have a ten, always have a 10-year rolling plan in our business, uh, both here in the US, and that needs funding um, more than what we've ever got. So... Yeah, we're always working closely with our traditional bankers, who we have a great relationship with, our suppliers, who are a fantastic source of funding for us, and and we're currently talking to a lot of different private equity companies. But all of those we're talking to are on our terms. So uh, any engagement we we have with private equity is always where we end up with controlling equity, and that wasn't a case five years ago, but. Today they're prepared to listen to that. So uh, they're the ways we're getting cash to grow, but not to cash out.
0: Fantastic. Words of wisdom um, built on years of experience (laughs) and time in the trenches. So, John, thank you very much indeed. I'd just like to join with everyone here to say thanks. It's been a privilege talking to you and hearing these words of wisdom. Uh, There's not many people in the world you can source that information from. So thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate it. In closing, is there a final point or observation you'd like to make for our listeners?
1: Look, uh, Brian, I've said to Kiwis at their conventions over there before, you know, if you can make it in New Zealand in franchising, you can make it anywhere. Why don't you guys jump across the ditch and grow your brand from Auckland to Perth? I say the same to Australians, you know. If you can make it in franchising in New Zealand or Australia, you can make it anywhere. You know, we're truly... Um, right up there with the best of the best, and certainly we're the best at relationship marketing. So, if your brand is uh, getting towards uh, 20% market share, if you're getting towards being at the top of the pack in Australia, um, take your brand to the US, take your brand to Europe. Um, you know, we—I'd be very surprised if we uh, we aren't back in France uh, within 12 months' time. So, uh, it's a hell of a ride, and uh, you know, wait, <laughs> why don't wave the flag? <laughs> I'm loving it. Well. It was- yeah, there's not a lot of grass grows
0: under your feet. I can hear that looking at France again. So you better brush up on those language, on those French la- lessons, I guess. So, <laughs> um, O'Brien doesn't sound like it's a name with an origin in France somehow. <laughs> okay. Well, John, thanks very much indeed. Really appreciate that. So we've been talking to John O'Brien, founder of Poolworks. That is an exciting story and amazing experiences he's had. So this is Brian King from Franchise Simply signing off looking forward to being with you when we interview our next franchise radio show guest